This is Financially Fit with Coach Hill, the podcast where you learn to train your money like a pro athlete trains for success. I'm Coach Hill, personal finance expert and money coach to the NFL. I took everything I've learned from coaching pro athletes for the last 10 years and founded Financial Footwork to help you become financially fit, find your success with money, and live the lifestyle you want with the money that you've got. Today, I have with me a very good friend. I'd like to introduce the host of the podcast, At The Podium, CEO of Mass Mutual Great Lakes, leadership guru and sports enthusiast, here to talk to us about high performance discipline and money and how those go hand in hand. I would like to introduce my friend, Manny Amezqua. Manny, I'm so excited to talk financial fitness with you today. Uh, But before we jump in, I want you to give the viewers, a little bit of background on you because your journey is awesome and you've really manifested the space into something it's never been before. So give me a little bit of your background and then we can talk money. Yeah. So, you know, I had the blessing to celebrate my 20th anniversary last week on February 10th. So 20 full years of service to our noble profession. And at a very early and young age in my life, I knew that I aspired to be in a career and a profession where we were consistently adding value or solving problems on behalf of others. At a very young age, uh, my brothers and I were kind of obsessed about pursuing the American dream. Our folks are immigrants from Mexico and super blessed to be born in this great country and to be educated in this great country and to be empowered to pursue our dreams in this great country. And I knew that a big part of someone living their dreams out and their greatest life by design was by being able to create a financially secure, stable and successful life. And like how somebody needs a nutritionist or uh, a strength coach to perform at their highest level of physical uh, possibility, folks also need a financial advocate and a financial coach, you know, exactly what you've been doing and mastering for the last several years. They need folks like us to advocate on behalf of their greatest dreams and priorities in life and build a financial roadmap uh, to get you there. I knew what I wanted for my family. I've been blessed to be married for nearly 20 years to my wife, Samantha. We have two incredible young children, 14 and 13, Ava and Atlas. And I'm just really obsessed about hitting the play buttons on my dreams. And and I know that a part of that is making sure that I'm making great decisions and having a great relationship with the money that I work hard to earn. And so I've been in this for 20 years. You know, we're running a practice now that's really obsessed about adding value in the world of professional sports, uh, business owners, entrepreneurs and executives. And so we're working really hard to do that. So you knew really at a very young age that you wanted to enter into the financial sector. Yes, 100 percent. That's insane. Most people don't even know what they want to do in their 30s, let alone as a kid. What sparked you to really fall in love with value add and finance as a way or a means to help people? You know, I, I, I think that I just knew that the outcomes that we get to experience in life are simply a reflection of a clear vision a clear plan of action and kind of good systematic habits with money. And I knew that it's really just a mathematical equation that it breaks down to. If I need to be at X, Y, Z in five years, am I going, do I have a clear roadmap of the habits and the tactics that I need to be very disciplined and committed to along the way so that in the end, uh, everything flushes out and I can actually hit the play button on that commitment or that dream that I had. Financial fitness 101. Yay. It makes it so simple. Everything is just about mathematical formulas where the math is accurate 
and then a commitment to the discipline and systematic steps along the way. Everyone gets lost in the do the work phase. It's they'll start. And then there's this long period of do the work so you can get to the goal. And everyone gets lost in that do the work phase, that discipline, consistency. It's not motivation because motivation comes and goes. It's that discipline phase. So many people struggle with that. Why? I know we'll get into your leadership guru stuff in a minute, but you've been in this for 20 plus years. You've known you wanted to be in finance forever. Why do you think people get stuck in the consistency phase, even though they really want to meet their goals, their financial goals? Well, I think the world is a really noisy place, right? And social media makes it even noisier. And the more noise, the more distracted we are, right? So I think if we allow too much white noise, too much sensationalized media, too much, uh, um, uh, too much kind of like get rich quick schemes to capture our attention, we forget that everything meaningful in life requires a lot of hard work and consistent discipline, hard work along the way. So we quickly get distracted by the notion that maybe I could do this differently instead of just sticking to the original plan that was sound, it was well thought out, the math was accurate and the strategy and systems and tactics all made a lot of sense. But I think sometimes it just comes down to that immediate gratification thing that still exists very much in our society, which is there's another way that'll be quicker, less painful. And yet nothing meaningful in our life has has ever been without pain. Absolutely. And so I think we need to exercise more patience. (laughs) I wish wish the world remembered that. Um, Exercising patience, that in and of itself is a, a crazy topic and one we don't really have in societal America today. We've got Instagram and TikTok and everything is 60 seconds. It's a quick hit. It's here. It's now. It's I want it right now. And we only see the sizzle reel. We only see the good stuff. We don't see all the work up to the good stuff. So people don't realize how much work it takes to be very good at one, two, or three things. And I think money being such a forefront for everyone. I mean, there's three things we think about every day. Our family, our career, and our money. And if we don't have all three of those right, we're really struggling to find balance with life. And a lot of that stems from money. Because if your money's not right, you might be arguing with your spouse. And if you don't have a job, money's definitely not right. So it all is full circle. And I agree with you. People get lost in the instant gratification, that immediate need for money um, or for the thing that they see that's sparkly and shiny right off in the distance. They can click, okay, I'll buy that today. And then they lose the dream down the road. Which brings me to the fact that you work in the sports and entertainment industry. You work with a lot of professional athletes. Did you see the prices of Super Bowl tickets? Yeah, they were- yeah I couldn't even believe it. My, my birthday was actually the day of the Super Bowl. And my wife kept saying, we wanted to send you to the Super Bowl. We wanted to send you to the Super Bowl. And even in our business, I'm like, I could never stomach paying for a decent seat to watch the game at the Super Bowl any longer. $10,000 for top of the stadium yeah. per seat. And it's sold out. (laughs) And it's sold out. So one of the biggest takeaways or what are your biggest takeaways working with the business of sports and being in that world that you feel you help players and people that you work with really take advantage of when they are in that world? Because we know it's sports and entertainment is a scary place to be. It's an exciting place to be. It's an overwhelming place to be. But how do you help people in that world? conquer all that white noise. 
Well, I mean, that, that's a great question. I'm sure there's a number of different ways to approach that. But our number one conversation with anyone that we're supporting and serving as an advocate of their financial pl- uh, uh, dreams and priorities is always we need clarity on who is at your table helping you make financial decisions that are aligned with your dreams, priorities and your resources. What is their role and responsibility at the table? And how often are we getting together as a team to make sure that we are collaborating and working together to ensure that your dreams and priorities are the number one priority at all times for us as a team? And I I think that conversation alone is significantly important to ensuring that someone has a high statistical likelihood of achieving those because you could earn a ton of money. But if the insurance advisor is competing with the wealth management advisor, is competing with the financial planner architecting the roadmap, is competing with who's selling you business insurance or giving you access to VC or to, 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 to private placement deals, um, if they're not working together, it could, uh, it could have a very detrimental impact on each of the different areas that it takes to, to be financially secure, stable, and successful in life. Yeah, having a good financial team that's actually working for you, not working against each other. A hundred percent. And I personally believe that having a strong financial team is one of, and not just a strong financial team, but a cohesive financial team is one of the strongest ways that people can build their financial security and their financial future. And you, the common misconception, and correct me if I'm wrong, Manny, most people think that they need to have millions in the bank to have a financial plan. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's absolutely a myth, right? Like, you know, you know, it's absolutely, absolutely a myth. I think there's, there's three simple characteristics someone must have to be someone that uh, should enter into a financial planning relationship. One, you've got to be gainfully employed and have some type of consistent income source. You'll need a consistent income source to fund not just the cost of the plan, but to fund the strategies and recommendations that are made along the way that you might really buy into. Number two, I think you have to have a basic understanding of what you should expect and a basic understanding of the type of information that's presented to you. And you should feel educated enough in that client experience process that you feel confident and comfortable making a decision to take steps forward. Number three, everyone's got to have someone or something that they love as much or more than themselves to be inspired emotionally to take that tough first step. And so I think when clients have those three characteristics and it's clear that they want to do something about it and they'll take the process seriously, I think then it's time to start asking people you care about, trust and respect who they work with, because you know the data, four out of five people still prefer to meet their financial advisor, financial planning team, financial advocate through a thoughtful, meaningful recommendation of someone they love and respect rather than online or all these random commercials that you and I see all over the place. No one, very few people statistically are buying that way. So we've also got to be really comfortable nominating people forward to good people. It's all about relationships. When you're talking about letting someone handle your money, 
that is a relationship. You're dating that person for a very long time. You're entering into a committed relationship. And it's one when you enter into it, that it has to be the right one. And if it's not, yes, you can, you can break up. That's a thing. You can break up. Um, but you want to make sure it's the right fit. So you're not just going to jump in because a commercial tells you we're the best company to work with. It's like, well, why are you the best company? Why are you the best fit for me as a financial advisor? And I love that you take the approach of service first, value first, which has pushed you into not just being a financial advisor where you started, but now you are the CEO of Mass Mutual Great Lakes and you get to coach all of the people under you on that leadership service mentality. So take me through your journey becoming the CEO of this of this branch of Mass Mutual and what that really looked like because so many people don't know what a journey to become a CEO looks like. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I appreciate you saying that. Obviously, we're really proud to serve uh, over 100,000 families across the Midwest, mostly concentrated in the state of Michigan and adjacent to the Great Lakes. Um, we do everything from architecting financial plans to selling and making strong recommendations around life insurance, disability, income insurance, annuities, to managing wealth, billions and billions and billions of dollars of wealth that we manage out of the state of Michigan. And, and I think the first thing that we had to get really obsessed about early on in my career when I started off as a, a full-time advisor at 24 was that I've got to be obsessed about adding value and solving problems for someone else's dreams and priorities, not mine. I've got to be obsessed about theirs. And so if they say, hey, I really want to send my children to college. I want to buy my first home. I want to be able to pay for my wedding in cash. Like, I've got to be obsessed about adding value and solving those riddles for them in their lives. And as we do that, we're paid really well for doing really great work. And so I think first was that mindset of servant leadership and servant selling. Add value, solve problems, honor your commitments, follow up. 90% of sales that are lost are lost because people don't follow up when they say they will. You got to follow up. If you say you'll call, call. If you say you'll be there, be there. And, and just do what most people don't do, which is honor those basic commitments. Along the way, I naturally found that I played sports through college, loved it. I'm a teammate kind of guy. I thought I've always thought being a great teammate is teaching and preaching what I believe in, sharing what I know, having a mindset of abundance and elevating the water level for all of us. Right. If we pour more water in the well than we take from the well, the water level rises and we will all go up with it. And I've always had that mentality because I had great mentors. So I was always sharing what I knew, sharing my mistakes, my wins, my losses. And from that, I began attracting people to come do what we did. Eventually, we realized that that was just the life I enjoyed. I love serving my clients. I love attracting people into this great profession, very noble profession. And I love teaching them how to serve their clients. And by taking a role of, of kind of steward of the firm and team captain of the firm, I realized that instead of me helping 50 families a year, by helping 200 advisors a year help 50 families a year, we're just making an astronomically different impact in society than if I just stayed the path of being an advisor on my own. Yeah, you're making a community impact, a statewide impact, which is massive. And I, and I love your growth from salesmen as an FA, because financial advisors, part of their job is to sell. Um, you'll 
right? And, and you're going to find that some are a little bit more salesy than others, but then you'll find people like you who are service first, value first, which has led you to be able to grow your business and also grow the advisors that work for you. So a lot of people think, oh, CEOs just move their way up. Well, CEOs of different companies, depending on who that person is and where they came from, the good ones, the leaders, they bring all their people with them and they elevate those people. And I think it's really important to highlight that that is where you come from and that's where your background comes from, which when you listen to, and you guys, we're going to have to talk about Manny's podcast because it's awesome. Um, but you talk so much about this piece of it on your podcast. So share a little bit about your podcast, why you developed it and how it's helping people. So th- thanks for saying that. Obviously, the, the podcast has just been a really fun project that we started two years ago uh, when we we're barely coming out of COVID. And um, what happened was I had a number of clients all in the same period of the year say, I love how we get on for this annual review and we talk more about leadership, wins and losses, podcasts you're listening to, books you've read, I've read rather than my financial plan. We spend, we invest 10, 15 minutes talking about, hey, here was the plan, here's the commitments that were made, here's the things that each side executed really well, here's the wins, here's the opportunities, let's refine it, are we good? And then we're like, so what'd you read lately? And the conversation was always really obsessed around how are we ourselves becoming the rising tide that kind of lifts all boats so that we're not just serving and leading, but we're pulling people with us as we continue to ascend on whatever trajectory we're on in life. And so it's really learning the best of the best from some of the best, the 1% of the 1% of you will. And because my practice has been so obsessed about serving and building long-term relationships with people in professional sports, entertainment, business owners, and executives, um, the conversations are always pretty interesting because they've done really cool, interesting things. So it's really organic. It's a simple way to unpack wins, losses, and lessons along the way that become these little simple, tangible nuggets that people can, you know, grab onto and implement the next day and begin to see the benefit of applying from the lessons that we've learned when we've won or lost. Oh, I love that. And you, you mentioned books. So we've got to pause and say this. What are you reading right now? What are you currently reading? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I just finished it again. Really? How to live on 24 hours a day. And a a newer friend of mine, buddy, Nathan center, sent me the book. And I, I thought it was incredible. It was very, 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 it's just very insightful. It's very simple. It's like, I read it literally in one day, but I got to show you, this is next up. And I just had John Gordon on the podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, at the end the of power January. Of positive thinking, right? Yeah. And so his book, The Power of Positive Thinking, and, you know, and, and the one that I just finished, which is funny, was The Carpenter, because I was preparing for his podcast and you went in the locker room first. Yes. And they were books I read years ago. But you know what? The second time and the third time through, you many times because you're at a different place in your life. Yes. You're taking completely different lessons away. I read The Carpenter in this other book, How to Win in the Locker Room First, probably three years ago. Okay. I was mentally in a different place then. Mm-hmm. And so 
to do that and then to get ready for the power of positive leadership again. I mean, it's just, you know, super exciting, you know, huge fan of John Gordon, obviously, as we all are. Yes, um, very much. But how so. to live in 24 hours a day. It was, it's been a great book. Amazing. And I have about five books a year. I'm just like you. I have five books a year that I have to reread because you only get so much out of reading something at any given time based on what's happening in your life. And as financial professionals and as leaders and as people who want to inspire change, I think rereading something and seeing it from a new perspective can change how you implement the lessons. And that's 100, I 100% agree with you when you said, oh, I read it and I was in a different place. I completely Absolutely. get that. So if you have a favorite book out there and you haven't read it in three years, go pick it up and reread it and see what lessons you take away from it. Because it will be different than the last time you read it. And I just, I love that. So good little nuggets and lessons for us to take from That's this leadership it. guru. Um, so Manny, yeah. wrapping up our conversation today, because this has been amazing. You are first and foremost, a serve first guy. And you know what routine means. So I have to ask, because I ask everybody this, what is your number one best financial practice that you implement, whether it's with your family or yourself every day? Um, it, you know, it's not on a daily basis, but it's more about the automation of commitments. I, I still, I am the biggest firm believer that every year we should sit down and revisit the things that we are contributing money to on a systematic monthly, quarterly, or annual basis. And we should push ourselves to just do one more. Like Ed Milet says, just do one more. And so whether it's our insurance, increasing the death benefit, whether it's cash value products and increasing the contribution I'm making monthly, whether it's our children's college accounts, savings accounts, emergency funds, sinking funds, retirement accounts, qualified, non-qualified, every year, it's like, sit down, and if that was at 100, hey, could I do 200 this year? Hey, if that was at 1,000, hey, could I do 1,500 this year? Hey, if that was at 10,000, can I push my savings rate to 20,000 this year? I think people will be blown away. We apply that in everything else in life. If you're running marathons, if you're a power lifter, if you're a walker, if if you're a, uh, hey, I used to cut my lawn in two hours. I got that thing down to an hour and a half. We're always looking for the edge. And I don't think we do enough of that with our financial planning teams to say, you know what? Every year, I want you to help me explore how we could just do a little bit more. And when you do that on an automated basis, you'll find you quickly learn to live without it. Oh, yeah. Finding your edge with your money game. I love that. Finding your edge. Finding your edge. Finding that little thing that makes you 1% better. I say it all the time because I love Atomic Habits. <laughs> that 1% better. That is a fantastic takeaway. And it's something everyone can do. You can sit down every year and analyze and look at what did I do last year? What can I do this year? And where can I push myself? Too many times we rely on our remembering to come back and look at the account and increase the amount or our emotional clarity that, oh, of course we'll increase it. I I used to love those infomercials where you, you put a turkey in like the gadget and it's done in two hours and you do nothing else, like set it and forget it. 
I'm like, it's, it's such a powerful, simple concept in the game of financial security, stability, and success. And accumulating wealth long-term is more about winning the inches than winning any one individual player move in the world of investments and wealth management. So well said. So you guys, you have to go listen to At The Podium. Check out Manny's podcast. Of course, subscribe to it. Manny, thank you for joining us and shedding your words of wisdom on us, giving us some nuggets and some books to read. And we will have you back soon. You are the best. You're an incredibly gracious host and love all the work. People have to follow Financial Footwork. It's incredible. Thank you so much. If you're ready to fast track your financial fitness, go to financiallyfitpodcast.com, grab our 12-week training program and get started today. 